Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. We've come to the 14th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Just prior to uh, this, Jesus has been back in his hometown of Nazareth. He's been in the synagogue preaching, and yet um, he has not been well received. In fact, they've kind of turned to each other and said, who does he think he is? You know, we know his mom and his brothers and sisters are, are here with us. And after all, he's the carpenter's son. Where did he get this wisdom? And we hear that famous passage from Jesus' lips that says, uh, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. And then Matthew goes on to say that he could do little works there because of their unbelief. So Jesus has gone from Nazareth, returned back to Capernaum, which he has made the center of his ministry on the northern edge, on the coast of the Sea of Galilee, quite probably the the home of the fishermen, the brothers Peter and Andrew, and the other brothers James and John. And so he comes back probably feeling quite burdened that these, uh, his, his own people, the people amongst whom he grew up, who he's gone back to tell about the good news of God's kingdom having broken in, and they refuse to listen. And then he gets the news that his childhood friend, his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded on the orders of Herod. You know, we think of beheadings, don't we, as back in a barbaric era. They're happening to Christians today in the Middle East, in Iraq, particularly in northern Iraq. And this news must have, of John's beheading, must have really, besides the grief that he's feeling over his cousin's murder, he also knows that that's where he's going, not to a beheading, but to a crucifixion. And all of these things, weighing as they must have done, he seeks to go apart to a deserted place by himself. He's surrounded always by so many people wanting things from him that he just wants to go and be with his Abba father in a deserted place by himself. So he gets in a boat, probably hugging the shoreline until he can find a deserted cove where he can just go and be in prayer and be fed and consoled by his father. But as he's traveling, the word gets out. And so all of these people from all of the villages all the way around start gathering up the people who are sick, who are in need of healing. And so there's a huge crowd that's following him along the shoreline as he's in a boat trying to find a deserted place just to be by himself. 
more and more people, 5,000 men and women and children besides. So more than 5,000 are trying to get to him. And instead of kind of setting out across the other side, his heart breaks with compassion for them. His own needs put aside, he pulls into the shore and spends the entire day healing, moving amongst them, praying over them, healing them. That's exhausting. It's really, really tiring. Already depleted by what has happened, and yet his compassionate heart just pours out for the love of those who are hurting. That compassionate heart is still beating, is still pouring itself out. His compassionate heart for love of you and me. It keeps on beating and it keeps on pouring itself out. Over and over again in the gospel narrative, we see this. Jesus seeks to be a part and yet people have needs and he puts their needs over his and he pours himself out. He goes and he heals all of these people and it's getting towards dark. It's evening. And so his leadership group, his disciples, the 12, um, they've identified a problem. They've also identified a solution. That's what good leaders do. Uh, They go out ahead and they identify a problem, come up with a solution and come with the solution to the leader. And so that's what they do to Jesus. It's late. There are a lot of people. There is no food. They're hungry. The solution is send them away into the villages where before it's too late and too dark, they'll be able to eat. Now, evidently, they've gone through the crowds because they already know what is available, and it's not much. In fact, it's just five loaves and two fish amongst all of those people. They've gone backwards and forwards probably saying, do you have anything you know, that you can share? And so, but instead of taking their solution, Jesus says, no, you feed them. Um, don't you love it? He says, we've, we, found the, we found the solution. No, that's not the solution to the problem. There's a whole other solution to the problem. You feed them. So that's the challenge of Jesus. It's his challenge to us as well. You know, aren't the times where we say it'd be so much easier if Tom, Dick or Harry dealt with this problem rather than me? Uh, Go over there and get your problem solved. And Jesus says, you feed them. And they're going, five loaves and two fish. It's not going to feed them. He says, bring them here. And then he blesses and gives thanks. Just gives them back to them. Tells all of the people to sit down. So they all sit down and they start distributing the bread and the fish. And everybody ate. 
Now, it just doesn't finish there. It says everybody ate and was filled. Some of these people probably hadn't had that good a meal in a long time. They were filled. They didn't have to do family hold back, pass it on. They could eat to their fill, and they were filled. And not only that, the provision was so amazingly abundant that there were 12 baskets filled with the leftovers. Filled with the leftovers. Everybody eats to their fill, and then 12 baskets filled. Can you imagine the abundant provision out of such paucity? It's what the Lord can do in our lives. He doesn't need a lot from us. What little we have, even if it's really small, only five loaves and two fish, it doesn't matter for him because he can make it abundant. If you notice, there's a movement in this story that we see repeated in Scripture in the New Testament. And it's also repeated in our lives. It's the movement of take, bless, break, and give. He takes the loaves and the fish. He blesses them, breaks them, and gives them. It's the movement of Christ's life, of his very own life. He is, he takes on our humanity. He is blessed at the Jordan River with the anointing of the Holy Spirit to go out and to preach. He's broken on the cross and he's given for our life. Take, bless, break and give. A little bit later, In Matthew's chapter, at the Last Supper, we hear this. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after giving thanks, blessing the bread, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. It's how he's recognized finally by the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Actually, they've reached their destination. All the way long, along that journey on Emmaus, their eyes have been closed. But when he takes the bread, blesses the bread, breaks the bread, and gives it to them, their eyes are opened in that moment, in that movement. It's what happens in our common life together. It's what happens at the Eucharistic meal that we share together. In the uh, early church, what would happen is people would bring bread that they had, uh, they'd gone out into the fields and collected the wheat. They'd made it into flour. They would have made it into bread. Uh, Same with the grapes made into wine. And what was theirs, common, ordinary food, they would bring up. It would be taken from the midst of the people, brought up 
And on the altar, it would be, we would give thanks to God for it. We continue to do that. That's why it's called the offertory. It's offered up. It's taken out. Our money, all of that we have is taken out, laid on the altar, blessed, broken, and given back. And we receive it back not as ordinary food, but as a mystery in the sacrament of the body and blood of Christ, as different food, a food that nourishes us both physically and spiritually and emotionally to heal us, to transform us. It's that movement of take, bless, break and give. It's the movement of our lives in Christ. Each and every one of us. For we're taken out of darkness. Jesus came out of light into darkness, but he brought light with him. We're taken out of darkness into his light. We're blessed. We receive the blessing of forgiveness of sins. The blessing of being children of God. The blessing of being his family. The blessing of receiving his Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And that must raise up in us a thanksgiving. That's what the word Eucharistia means. Eucharist, thanksgiving. We're taken out of darkness into light. Blessed. And then broken, broken of our thoughts that we ourselves are in control, of our self-sufficiencies, broken of our pride, broken of those things we think we can do by ourselves, surrendered to Christ so that his ways are our ways. Broken of self-conceit, self-sufficiency, all of those self-things that actually block us from being able to fully receive that which God has for us, to trust him fully and completely with all of who we are. For he knows What is best for us? This week I went back to um, a previous uh, uh, reflection, a devotional that I've gone to uh, before. It's called Streams from the Desert and it was written by a woman. I'm not too sure whether it was the late 1800s or early 1900s. But um, she wrote this. This is a quote from Romans 6.13. Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. One night, says, I went to hear a sermon on consecration. Nothing special came to me from the message. But as the preacher knelt to pray, he said, O Lord, you know we can trust the man who died for us. That was my message, she said. As I rose from my knees and walked down the street to catch the train, I deeply pondered all that consecration would mean to my life. I was afraid as I considered the personal cost, 
And suddenly, above the noise of the street traffic came this message. You can trust the man who died for you. I boarded the train and as I traveled toward home, I thought of the changes, sacrifices and disappointments that consecration might mean in my life. And I was still afraid. Upon arriving home, I went straight to my room, fell on my knees and saw my life pass before my eyes. I was a Christian, an officer in the church and a Sunday school superintendent, but I had never yielded my life to God with a definite act of my will. Yet as I thought of my own precious plans that might be thwarted, my beloved hopes to be surrendered, and my chosen profession that I might have to abandon, I was afraid. I completely failed to see the better things God had for me, so my soul was running from him. And then for the last time, with a swift force of convicting power to my inmost heart, came that searching message, my child... You can trust the man who died for you. If you cannot trust him, then whom can you trust? Finally, that settled it for me. For in a flash of light, I realized that the man who loved me enough to die for me could be absolutely trusted with the total concerns of the life he had saved. And she says this, dear friend, you can trust the man who died for you. You can trust him to thwart each plan that should be stopped and to complete each one that results in his greater glory and your highest good. You can trust him to lead you down the path that is the very best in this world for you. And then she quotes this hymn, Just as I am, thy love unknown has broken every barrier down, now to be thine, yea, thine alone, O Lamb of God, I come. Life, she says, is not wreckage to be saved out of the world, but an investment to be used in the world. Sometimes the world breaks us. Sometimes we live in such a sinful world that we are broken in so many different ways, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And yet the Lord comes in to heal because we're not broken to be saved out of the world, but we're broken to be used back into the world. Taken, blessed, broken, and given. See, the Lord comes for each one of us, but not just for each and every one of us, but given for the world, given back so that others might be taken out of the darkness into the light. And are you thinking right now, but I have nothing? 
I have nothing to give to the world. All the disciples had for over 5,000 people were five loaves and two fish. And it was more than enough. It might be that you have finances, you have a talent, an ability. It doesn't need to be great. Because the mystery is that the Lord fills your paucity and makes it absolutely incredible abundance. And that's the mystery. You don't need to know how he does it. You don't even need to know why he does it. You just need to know that he can do it. And he will do it. The more we trust him, the more we get closer and closer to Jesus, the more of the compassionate heart of Christ that we have and our little gets to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit into amazing abundance. And in the giving, we are both a blessing and blessed. It's always what happens in Christ's world, in his kingdom. We get taken, blessed, broken, and given And in that movement, we become a blessing and receive one. May we be those people. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.